everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Mountain Stories podcast. My name is Brent Olson. I'm one of the directors of the Institute of Mountain Research, along with Jeff Nichols. And our goal is to um, hear and to share and to celebrate stories of people who live, work, and play in the mountains. Over the last year, uh, that has meant that we've had the pleasure of working with Dr. Shomai Pu on her project, Mountains and Stories, exploring the lives and narratives of Asian Americans and Asian refugees and Asian immigrants to the Salt Lake Valley. Today, we're super excited to share the story of Obaid Baraksai with you. Obaid is Afghan by nationality, he's Pashtun by ethnicity, and he says he's a mountaineer at heart. He's a senior now at Westminster College, uh, studying international political economy and honors, and he's formerly the student body president in the 2020 and 2020 in the 2020 and 2021 academic year. His story is relevant at the moment. Uh, he has very close family and friends who've been affected pretty severely by the recent withdrawal in Afghanistan of U.S. troops, and uh, I think it's a story that we need to hear and we need to take to heart. So I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Uh, my name is Obaid Baragzai. I go to Westminster College. I'm a junior. I study international political economy. I'm also a student in the Honors College. I'm, I have the privilege and opportunity to serve this wonderful community as a student body president this year, which I'm super excited about. Um, and I grew up, I was born and raised in Kabul, Afghanistan, but my parents are from Farah. Um, it's one of the places in the West um, part of the country. So yeah, I grew up in Afghanistan and then about 13, 14, I started traveling the world. I went to Indonesia for school. Um, I went to India on a trip. I went to Dubai and I've been traveling since then for the past like 13, 14 years, 10, 11 years, something like that. Um, but yeah, and I think like I'm really interested to do this podcast because I think like telling stories of mountain is such a big part um, of myself. And I think like it's an imperative thing that reflects really well you know my identity and who I am and my connection to the nature um, and I think like every time that I go to a mountain every time that you know I take friends there um, the mountain itself how big it is how colossal it is makes me feel bigger than myself that I belong to a universe not just you know my surroundings not just the city that I live in not just the community that I'm part of it just makes me feel really big it just makes me feel very courageous to take challenges and risks in life and, uh, and also to get out of my comfort zone. I used to hate cooking um, and then I did a contest in Indonesia for 30 days. Um, and then they were like, do something for 30 days that gets you out of your comfort zone. And I did cooking, I learned how to cook. And since then um, I am a decent cook, you know, I cook all kinds of food from around the world. And I learned that by going into a mountain, you know, we made some kebab barbecue at the top of a mountain. Um, and the scenery and everything was just so beautiful. And I think like I couldn't find a better place to have that transformative experience the way that I did at that specific mountain in Badung. Um, I'm excited to share my story more. I think the first memory that I remember was not as good, um, of course. Like I went to this mountain, it was by a hill. Um, I mean, like the hill had like, you know, it was a cemetery on the hill and then next to the hill, it was a mountain. So I went there. Um, unfortunately, I was a little kid, so I had flip flops on. Um, and when I went there, I actually just slipped 
from the mountain. So for about like five to seven minutes, I was just rolling on the mountain and this very, very like eight or 9,000, you know, like feet, like super high elevation. I was just rolling. Um, and of course, I think like, you know, I had some scratches, but I didn't get any big injuries. So that was the first memory that I remember from going to a mountain. Um, but of course, I think like I just get really fascinated by how a lot of things in life have specific power, like the power to build, the power to be creative, the power to, um, you know, like be yourself. And I think like mountain with its power, like it definitely, you know, like did hurt me in a way. Um, but I was really fascinated by like how big it was and like how small I felt as like a little snow, you know, rolling from the mountain. And since then, um, yeah, so that was our first interaction. <laughs> mountains, all of the mountains, I think, you know, like I resonate with all of them, right? It's not like I have a favorite mountain over the other. I think a lot of them, you know, like really fascinate me, as I said. It depends on like who I'm with in those mountains, right? I think if I'm by myself, regardless of which mountain I go to, I still get the same experience. I still connect with myself through going to the mountain and feel more like myself, right, at the mountain. But I think it depends on who I'm going to. Like if I go with, you know, my family, um, that's a totally different experience at the mountain, right? If I go with friends, that's a totally different. If I go with classmates, if I go with strangers. So I think each of, you know, those groups of people add a little bit of an experience to my already big experience that I'm, you know, getting from the mountains. So it, it totally depends on um, the people that you go with. Um, I grew up in Kabul, Afghanistan, in the middle of the city, you know, born and raised in the war. Never really watched any cartoons in my life, except Tom and Jerry for like 10 minutes, you know, from my neighbor's window to see like what they're up to. <laughs> I don't know, as a kid. Um, but I think like, you know, I wanted to like, you know, find peace. And I think like finding peace in a war zone is an extremely difficult task to, you know, bear. I think like it's it's very hard, right? War is going on. People feel uncertainty in their lives and you don't know if you're going to live in the next 10 seconds or not. Um, there's just so much uncertainty going on. There's not really hope. And I wanted to find peace. I know that a lot of people, even in the books that I was reading in school, everyone was talking about, hey, peace, which we call solha. Everyone was like, hey, Solhar, peace is beautiful. We're going to have peace and all of that. And then some, you know, some people were already so disappointed. They were like, how can you find peace in the middle of a war zone, right? And I think for me, like I, since I already had that connection, right? We do have like, you know, an expression in our culture that like, what hurts you the most teaches you the most. What hurts you the most impresses you the most and makes you the most powerful, you know? I think even like Kelly Clarkson, you know, um, has a song that, you know, says that like, what doesn't kill you make you stronger, right? That I really resonate with. It's one of my favorite songs. And I think, you know, like the mountain that I went there, it hurt me, but like it taught me the most and it gave me the peace that I needed. So I would go to the mountains, you know, like sometimes every morning, um, back home, we do have Fridays available. So, so I think like in America, we have Saturdays and Sundays. But back home, we only have one day, which is Friday. But you have to go to work on Saturdays and Sundays. And, you know, like on Fridays, sometimes, you know, like I would just go to the mountain climb. So there were basically four mountains. And then two of the mountains, you know, next to them, there was a bakery. And my dad would want me to like, you know, buy some really fresh bread so that we can come in and make some eggs. 
you know, eat the bread. And then like, you know, I would climb to the mountain, just watch, take like, you know, 10 to 15 deep breaths. And then I would go to the bakery and I could always choose the path, the street path, right? I didn't have to climb over the mountain and go to the bakery. I could always, you know, like use the shortcut, but I just wanted to get challenged, right? Um, I was also really fascinated by like our human anatomy that how like our human bodies consume energy. And I was like, if I go to the mountain, maybe like I'm going to lose like 120 calories and then I can get it back from the bread. Like how fascinating is that, right? From like since childhood, I've been always really curious to learn. And yeah, so I would go to the mountains and then that became like a normal thing. I think like I normalized it in my daily life. And, you know, sometimes I didn't even have to like go on a Friday morning. I would have to go, you know, like on another day, Monday or Tuesday before going to school, you know. And then, of course, I think like day by day, I started taking more challenges. In the beginning, I would go, you know, climb the mountains, you know, by feet and I just walk. But then after that, I actually took my bike with me to the mountains. You know, I started like biking in the mountains because that's how I went to school as well. I could take the shortcut, but like I went through the mountains and a lot of the hills and things. I learned a lot of tricks on like, you know, how to like do cool stuff, you know, the mountain, definitely dangerous, you know, a lot of stones. But yeah, so it, it became a normal thing. And I'm so glad that it is a normal thing now. Do you ride a bike here in Salt Lake? I do. I do. Sometimes. I mean, of course, I didn't have a car, right? I just got a car recently in May because I'm like an environmentalist. You know, I'm like, hey, walking is better, running. But I had to get a car because a lot of my Afghan communities who live in Utah, a few families, they're far distance and, you know, buses and tracks don't actually go there. And they're really old. One of them is 80 years old. The other one is 78. Um, so it's really hard for them to come and pick me up. And they did it like eight or nine times. And then I feel really bad, like going to grocery shopping, going to conferences, you know, like as a president, I think I had to get a car, you know, like Utah is not designed for public transportation. And now I have a car, you know, like I usually go on a hike at the big Cottonwood Canyons, which is like one of my favorite places. And I go for photo shoots. I go, you know, like a hike there. Um, so I think that, and then I think like there are a few couple hills by the golf, I think like in Sandy that I sometimes, you know, just climb with my friend who does golf. And yes, yeah, so I think like these mountains are really cool. I went to Idaho, right? Um, and I got, you know, like I saw like a lot of the hills and also like, you know, some mountains that were super beautiful. We went to the Shoshone Falls and, you know, the mountains, we hiked them. And then we went to the Idaho Falls. There were a few mountains too. Um, but yeah, I think like overall, you know, if I find a mountain, I just park my car, you know, just climb the mountain. Um, you mentioned the war. Could you talk a little bit more about the war? How old were you when the war happened? And how has that uh, impacted your life, uh, the lives of your family and the community? as well as the mountains there? Yeah, totally. Um, interesting question. I usually get a question all the time about war. You know, it's not the most pleasant topic to talk about, for sure. Um, but I mean, like I was born, you know, like when I was born in 1998, but if you convert it, it's like 1999 in a way to this calendar, I think. Um, but yeah, so I think like, you know, I was born in the war. The war started, you know, in 1976, I believe, and then in 1979, the, you know, the Soviet came in and invaded us. And of course, I wasn't born. So, you know, my dad was there. I think he was born in 1954, 62, 63, something like that now. But yeah, so the rest of my family was kind of like born in war. 
um, and my, you know, dad lived through it. And then I was born in 1998. And then yeah, I was born in war, you know, in 1996, the Taliban came in and, you know, took power in 1986, two years before I was born. Um, and they were there until 2001, basically, right? And yeah, so 1988, that's like three years, right? So like full of Taliban and not really a government and, you know, so much, so many disparities and like, you know, just war and like, and then the Mujahideen came in, you know, who were the group fighting against Russians. Um, they came in, they fought, and then the U.S. came in and then um, one of the Mujahideen leaders got killed the day before 9-11 and then that happened. You know, so all the war and then when the U.S. came in, of course, you know, they started like, getting rid of all the Taliban if possible, which is still a struggle to this day. Um, yeah, since then, you know, it's been four decades of war and I was born and raised into it. Sometimes, you know, like with my friends, uh, my hobby was to, you know, like explore the, the destroyed, you know, villages. And sometimes I will walk, you know, through the destroyed villages and I would hear, you know, old mom, you know, crying for their babies who, have who they have lost in war. Um, you know, through the windows. So I think that was a really challenging thing. And I would, you know, go to this like destroyed places. It didn't have a rooftop. And we would play with, you know, bullet cartridge cases, you know. We would just do like play marble. I'm really good at marble, by the way. Um, you know, you play actually marbles and things. And yeah, sometimes, you know, like in our holidays, there's like, I don't know, like, what is the term for that in English? But when a bullet is fired after like 10 to 20 years, it became like, a little thing we call them fishing and even in our holidays we would actually light those things on and it would be like chew you know like in the air but yes i think you know like that was my hobby growing up in war was extremely hard right um i didn't understand you know the world and i didn't know what was going on in the rest of the world all i knew was about war and of course i paid a lot of attention to my studies because I was like, hey, I'm not from a rich family. I don't have a lot of power. You know, my dad doesn't work in a really high job. You don't have a lot of like, you know, government officials supporting us or something. And I was like, the only way to get out of this situation was to focus, you know, like on my studies and also focus on fighting global scholarships. Growing up in war was a really interesting experience. And I think it made me extremely grateful for the things that I have in life. You know, I'm still alive. I think that's probably the biggest you know, happiness of my life, I guess. And I think being able to like, you know, connect with other people and observe where this go, you know, where this world is actually going and traveling and connecting the world with stories, going to the mountains, being able to go to the mountains, being able to be able-bodied to go to the mountains, right? And not be injured by war, or bombs, or so many other things, just like my friends and family members. When did you move to the U.S. and what was the biggest challenge? adapting to the new environment here? Yeah, so the first time that I came to, you know, America was um, in July 21st, 2014. I did a speech at the United Nations on conflict resolution on behalf of my country. Um, I was selected as one of the five people in thousands who took the test and, you know, that crazy, crazy process that we went through because I speak in German before then and then I didn't speak English at all and then I had to, like, you know, they gave me four days to learn English. So I read, I think, 17 books in those four days. I just memorized words. You know, they were talking about peace and war. What does peace mean and all of this? And I remember writing six pages. I, in the first three or four pages, I just wrote what I learned. And then in the next two pages, I just 
wrote what I remembered from those textbooks, right? Like I just put things down as much as I could, like super, super fast. And yeah, so, you know, and then I came to New York and I, you know, did a speech on conflict resolution. And um, I also attended the Seats of Peace International Camp in Maine, where, you know, to bring students from, you know, conflicted areas and regions of the world. Like they actually create spaces for, you know, a lot of really difficult discussions to happen, right? For example, they created a space between Palestinians and Israelis, Afghans and Pakistanis and Indians, you know, a lot of different spaces. It was it was a very difficult challenge. You know, when I came in, I mean, that's another story. Um, but like, I didn't even know what 9-11 was, obviously, nor a lot of my countrymen actually knew because we didn't really have to do anything with it. And yeah, you know, they were talking about 9-11. I was like, what is this? What is this? Like, you know, and then they're like, oh... I was like, oh, wow, that's that's a really, you know, bad thing. And I didn't imagine that something with that would actually happen in this, you know, like beautiful country, America, you know. Um, but yeah, so and then I went back home, you know, and then I came back for high school again. I graduated from high school back home. But because of my age and skipping four grades back home, um, I decided to come to Utah and attend the American International School of Utah for two years. And yeah, how I actually found Utah and this school was that one of the people that I met at Seats of Peace, you know, the camp in Maine, they emailed me. They're like, hey, there's this new really good school, international school in Utah. And that school just got open, you know, it had opened in 2014. That's exactly where I attended the camp. They were like, hey, apply to this school. They're going to find you a host family, like all this good jazz. Um, and I was initially planning on applying to Phillips Exeter Academy and Dover, Lawrenceville, Hodgkiss, all of those schools in you know, East Coast. And, I got, um, and then I also applied to this school, but I got into this school in two days, which was really shocking. And then I was like, okay, should I go to this school or should I wait and go to other you know, boarding schools? And then since my dad is a military officer, he served for over 41 years, something like that. Um, yeah, and then he was like, yeah, you should go to this school, just be honest, be committed, you know, like all the military vibes, <laughs> just go to the school, you know, don't wait for the other, you know, like schools. Um, I was like, sure. So I accepted the school, even though I got into like, you know, other schools as well. Um, and then I found a host family. Um, but before, of course, you know, coming into the U.S. for school to Utah, I went to Indonesia. Um, and then one of my friends was like, hey, like, do you know Utah? I'm like, yeah, I mean, I know a little bit about it. And then she was like, hey, like, you know, there's this big LDS culture. There's this, um, you know, Utah is a really interesting place. I was like, wow, I want to learn more about it, right? And then I took those things and I told my host family, I'm like, hey, they were talking about something called LDS. Like, what is this? Because I was thinking about the LED lights. <laughs> I thought it would be like a big city with lights. I was like, yeah, what is LCD or LDS or something? And then my host family was like, we're LDS, we're members of the church, you know, this is what we believe. And I was like, oh, respect that. And then I came to Utah. Um, and I think like, it's it's super like crazy, because first time when I came to New York, right, 2014, I was a little, you know, culturally shocked, right? I saw like, the, you know, basically the taxis in New York, not a lot of mountains, you know, the big buildings, not a lot of mountains. And I was like, wow, this is so interesting. How busy is this city? Everyone is like, no one is really willing to talk, right? Everyone was busy and moving. But back home, like, you know, people take the time to talk to you and stuff, even on the street. 
with strangers and it's like hey where is that like you know what kind of world i was still processing you know in the way back and i went back home and i got really homesick i was like i'm gonna go to new york like i'm not gonna live in war zone you know a lot of bad things are happening there um and yeah when i came to utah i got a way different different vibe like utah is not like new york <laughs> I know that's still, you know, like it's still part of America, like, you know, you've got still like, you know, Senate and everything. Um, but I think in Utah, like the mountains is something that, you know, like have made me feel extremely at home. It has made, you know, um, creating a home away from home possible in this space. Having big families, you know, the LDS big families and also like other big families in Utah in general. Like I have a really big family back home and big family. So like, I'm like, wow, like I'm home. And then the mountains, the way Utah looks and also how friendly the people in Utah are, right? I found, I mean, I've been to like 26 other different states for conferences and competitions um, or even, you know, just for like uh, hanging out, you know, with my friends, vacation things. Uh, but yeah, I think like in Utah, like people are much more friendly that I found. You've got the mountains, you've got a beautiful nature, you've got Zion's Peak and so many amazing national parks. And yeah, I mean, like I grew up by the mountains. <laughs> so this is the best place, honestly, you know, like to be. Uh, and of course, I think career-wise, it might not be the best place because I want to live in a city like New York. Not live in a city, but like work in a city like New York, you know, have my little bag with me, like, you know, with tie and suit and going to meeting, Goldman Sachs and all of that good jazz. But I think like living in Utah is super pace, you know, peaceful. Draper's good, but unfortunately houses are getting expensive, so kind of sad. <laughs> I think every time, you know, back home, you talk about the mountains, the first thing that comes to mind is the history. Because Afghanistan, genetically, I think it's like 50,000, you know, BC. Um, and then I think, like, if you think about, like, Iran, it's like, you know, that region is the oldest region in my knowledge. I may be wrong in the world, um, which I just did a DNA test recently, which is interesting results. But yeah, but yeah, so like every time, you know, that they were like, hey, like, Alexander the Great, you know, when he, and Alexander the Great invaded Afghanistan, they're like, hey, he came into these mountains and, you know, took refuge from, like, the locals, not to, like, you know, um, or, hey, like on that corner of the, you know, the mountain, it looked like this in 1919, you know, when we got our independence. And now, like, it looks really interesting. And like, hey, like, look at this one. You know, sometimes my parents would tell me stories that, um, you know, they would actually go to the mountains for camping and things for like, you know, not Halloween, but like holidays. Yeah, they would spend their time there. You know, sometimes it's really interesting that like my favorite thing in the world now to do is to get like a, you know, a watermelon a cold watermelon, go to the mountains, go camping, and then smash the watermelon, eat it while looking at the city. That's my favorite thing pretty much to do now. Um, and I think, you know, my parents would tell me that, hey, like back in the day, our great, great, great grandparents, like they would actually, you know, get some grapes from this garden that, you know, my uncles or our farmers, you know, those who are alive. But yeah, you know, they were like, we used to take grapes and watermelons and we used to like do it. And they were like, hey, let's let's relive that experience and see like if you like it, right? And they did that, but I fell in love. <laughs> I was like, wow, taste. And then you make some barbecue and kebab and like, you know, just so much goodness away from, you know, like the war zone and away from like, you know, some, and then you come down and then it's back to like normal. So I think every time you go to a mountain, you live a new normal, right? You live 
in a almost, you know, like in a peaceful sense, even though sometimes, you know, the Taliban are also in the mountains. They could be dangerous. You know, sometimes like they attack one another, bullets, rockets, everything fired, you know, the stones um, splashing everywhere. But so a lot of those stories, historical stories, you know, like when Tamar, the Lang, who didn't have a leg, he came in and invaded. When Genghis Khan, you know, came in and invaded us. And yeah, and I think like part of the reason that Afghanistan has this nickname called the Graveyard of Empires, which is our nickname, um, is because every single, you know, like invasion that has happened has failed. Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan, um, the British, like so many other, you know, because uh, of the mountains, right? People go in the mountains, hide in the mountains, just like the Soviet came in. We didn't have a lot of weapons. We didn't have anything, right? People would hide in mountains and then they would go and like attack, right? And then the helicopters and cars couldn't go. And you can never fight against the locals who are experts in those mountains. They know all the ways and like, you know. And yeah, they came in with, you know, not knowing how crazy the people were and, you know, the mountains and things. And that's why, yeah, so thanks to the mountains, I guess. Walking, you know, like up the mountain makes me think that I live in the same earth. I think like, you know, like it, it kind of like reminds me of this concept of oneness of humanity, that we're all the same, you know, let's put our differences behind, live, live in harmony, let's focus on similarities and also learn from, you know, like our disagreements and things. Um, and every time that, you know, like I walk up to a mountain, I'm like, wow, like I have almost the exact same feeling um, as I, you know, when I walked back home, when I walked in Indonesia, when I walked like everywhere, it's basically like, you know, the same mountains, the same feelings, I'm still climbing, this is still the earth and the ground. Um, and why, you know, war, like why conflicts among human? Same ground, same earth, one earth, you know, we need to come together and live in harmony. When I was back home, I was going to a German school called Amani High School or Amani Ubiru Shula. Um, and I was going to that school and I got a call because like, so back home, you know, in the country, like if you have the highest grades in your class, you're called the captain or our numra, right? You're the first person. And if there's a scholarship opportunity, they usually come in to like, you know, inform you because you're the head of the school, kind of um, in school-wise and academic-wise. Um, and our school, my school is like the first or second most prestigious high school in the country. Um, so when the scholarship came in, despite the fact that they knew that everyone in this school speaks German, I was also in the licensing classes, so all my teachers were German, so I didn't speak English really. Um, and then, yeah, they still, you know, they called me. I was tutoring two doctors on German also. There were three kids that day. And they were like, hey, there's a scholarship opportunity. Do you want to come into school? Otherwise, someone else is going to steal it. I'm like, oh, okay, opportunities, I'm in. <laughs> so I got on the bus. It was like, I think like an hour away. I went to my school back because um, if you know the traffic, heavy traffic in the middle of the city and people not following the traffic lights and anything like that. So yeah, I went to the school and then I did like a little interview and then, you know, I got the papers done and I was like, hey, what is this opportunity? I don't, I have no idea. And they're like, hey, it's called Seeds of Peace. You're going to go there and all of that. It's like, that's, that's great. You know, that's really good. But yeah, so I think like, I don't know, I think like the rest of the world, every time, you know, they, they meet someone from like Afghanistan, they already assume that, hey, we can have a conversation about war, right? Because that's all you know. So I think, of course, I'm like, for the rest of my life, I'm going to have zillions of conversations about war and peace. So why not learn it, right? Like, why not 
be really educated in it, to use my lived experience as a way to inform, you know, that knowledge about, you know, war and peace. War and peace is definitely not one of the pleasant topics that I usually want to talk about. Um, making tea is the most pleasant topic that I usually talk about. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I do, I do. So it's called Al-Utur. Um, it's a black tea mixed with Earl Grey. Um, it, you know, like smells like chamomile tea, but it, it's actually made of, you know, cardamoms. Um, so it's a very interesting mixture and it just smells so good. Yeah, so that's my favorite. And I have like over 116 different types in my room. Yeah, like I've been doing research about tea for the past, you know, my whole life. Tea and mountains, they're like two things, you know. Every time, I don't know if you're going to be able to share like photos in the podcast or not, but um, I have like, I've taken a lot of photos in the mountain, you know, with my tea. So every time that I go to a mountain, the first thing I do is take tea pictures. Um, I just show the world, you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah. that you spoke German, right, and you speak English. In addition to English and German, what other languages do you speak? Yeah, totally. So I speak seven fluently, um, German, English, Urdu, Hindi, Pashto, Farsi, and Arabic. And then I also speak like um, six to eight more conversational, which the list is, you know, like long, like, but yeah. So those are the languages that I'm, you know, speaking and I'm really interested. The next language that I'm going to focus on is Spanish, of course, you know, in the U.S. So many people speak it. Um, but yeah, I know, you know, Spanish, I can understand it a little, little bit. But like, I've never really like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to YouTube and learn. I've not started learning, but I've just picked it up from like, you know, people's conversations and people teaching me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a beautiful language. Uh, um, did you pick up those languages at school with friends from Google? <laughs> so everything, I mean, that's, that's right, you know, like Arabic from Google, basically. Because um, I think like when it comes to like Afghanistan, you know, people are like, hey, this is a Middle Eastern country, but it's not, right? It's a South Asian, is the southernmost, I think, Asian country on earth is the heart of Asia. So I think like... Yeah, so I think Pashto, you know, that's my mother tongue. Farsi, I grew up in Kabul, so I was expected to speak it. Um, and then Urdu and Hindi, you know, I think um, I'm the youngest of a big family. Um, and everyone was actually watching, you know, the Bollywood movies back home because it's a really big culture there, right? And yeah, I just watched with them. I didn't have a choice to like switch, you know, the channel. <laughs> so I just had to, you know, go with the vibes and go with everyone else. Um, but yeah, so that's how I learned, you know, like Hindi. And also, of course, I think I used to read, you know, like Urdu scripts and things. Um, and they're pretty similar, Indian Urdu. Just the writing is different. Urdu is more like the Persian version of Hindi. Um, and then Hindi is like, you know, more Sanskrit, which I know a little bit about. And then, yeah, and then what else? And then German, I went to German school. So that's how I learned English. I came to Utah in 2016 and I really started learning it from the basics, but before 2016, my English was like extremely broken. I just understood a little bit, but couldn't really speak it. But yeah, so it's been four and a half years of, you know, learning English. And then, yeah, so I covered <laughs> German, English, Pashto, Farsi, Urdu, Hindi, and Arabic. You know, I think people assume that we already speak Arabic, of course, because if, you know, like our religion, you know, Islam, everyone's like, yeah, you should be able to. 
see it, but no one really speaks Arabic in Afghanistan, right? You can read it a little bit from the book, but like, it's like if you ask, basically, you know, like Jews in America, that if they can speak fluently Hebrew, right? You know, I think like making those assumptions and I think assuming that, you know, people know certain things is already too dangerous, right? It can lead to like more misconceptions about people and culture. But yeah, so those languages and other languages like Turkish or Russian and Ukrainian and Hebrew, these are some of the conversational languages that I've learned it um, by myself. And also these languages, you know, for example, Hindi and Urdu and even Pashtun and Farsi, they have like different they're related strongly to other languages spoken in India to like hundreds and in South Asia. And so I can understand those languages too, but obviously, you know, speaking it fluently is another <laughs> step. The majority, you know, of the population in Afghanistan speak Pashto because Pashtuns are like, you know, the dominant group back home. In my communities in Utah, if I see someone speaking Pashto, I speak Pashto. If I see someone speaking Farsi, I speak Farsi. I don't have any accents in those languages because I grew up, you know, back home. So it's an advantage. And I think like it brings this interesting concept of like, it's, you know, it's something called liminal space. For example, like a lot of the Afghans or even other people, you know, like born in the US, if they go back home, of course, they have an accent when they speak their native language, right? And they're, you know, called it, hey, like you're not Afghan enough, right? Because you have an accent, right? And a lot of the Afghans who come into America, they're like, hey, you were not born here, so you're not American enough, even if you get a citizenship. So I think like, you know, between that space, living that space, which one do you belong to? It's called liminal space. Do you think you have been in that liminal space? And how do you navigate? I think for me, like, even though I think like I consider my English to be like, you know, pretty decent and okay. Um, but I think like, you know, sometimes when I speak for like, you know, 10 to 20 minutes, people, you know, can catch my very little, you know, like accent that I have. Even though at the beginning, people don't really know. Um, like the other day, I was talking to Senator Romney about climate solutions in an article that I published in the Solid Tribune. And in the beginning five minutes, he didn't actually notice. He was like, hey, what state, you know, did you actually move into or something like that? Where are you from? Are you from Montana or something? I was like, no, I'm from Afghanistan. Even he actually didn't catch it, I don't know. Um, but yeah, sometimes, you know, like when you talk, I think there are certain words that like, of course, I think like it takes a lot of time to have those conversations and, you know, correct those words. But yes, of course, you know, like people think that, you know, I was not born here, so I'm not an American. I'm fully native, you know, back up, if I go there, it's all like, but I think like here too, you know, like the way that I act, the way that I speak and the way that I hold conversations, you know, with my peers and even the spaces that I'm in, like, you know, the student government and, you know, like other many things that I do. Um, I think it has definitely, you know, the culture here has definitely impacted how I function in this society. To define, you know, like your personal identity and where you at specifically to find a place. I think that's where like, it's complicated, right? It's really complex. It's a really like um, difficult, you know, like thing to talk about because like, you don't know exactly where you actually belong. And since I consider myself a global citizen, right? I think that every time that I explore a culture, I add something to my own culture, right? I add something new to myself and I learn from it. And I become part of that culture and that culture become, you know, becomes part of myself. So I think like I don't have a very specific culture that I'm like, that's exactly where I land on, right? I'm a global citizen. Um, I still haven't even explored like, less than one person if you know like who I am and also like 
how I can thrive in those cultures. But I think I always have two things in mind, like, you know, an open mind with a growth mindset and also like intentionality, you know, I think like I always try to have the best intentions before I enter a space and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to the space. My goals are, you know, to learn from the other people, not to convince them or change minds about their culture, what ways right or wrong. Just learn from them and also to share my experiences and cultures because every time that, you know, someone shares their experiences and cultures, I learn something about my culture and my identity, right, in comparisons to other people's. Um, but of course, and also like, you know, in the common things that we have. So I think like it's, it's very difficult to see, you know, like where you exactly put yourself. You know, I, I think like in my perspective, I've explored hundreds of, even thousands of cultures, many different places, so many programs over 350 conferences and programs that I've attended or even more um, every time that I go to these places you know I meet different people different cultures and identities and languages backgrounds I just keep an open mind I'm extrovert as you can probably tell you know I'm just trying to be friendly just go into that space learn from them share what I know work together keep an open mind um, and not you know judge people and I think like yeah I'm a very like open global citizen don't have an exact place in the world. How is it you recognize the by other people? And have you ever encountered any questions and conversations that make you feel uncomfortable? You know, as I said, I think like assuming that everyone is on the same page is very dangerous when it comes to understanding a certain culture. Like sometimes, you know, like when I get interviewed, or, you know, when I, you know, talk to people, you know, they bring up the topic of war, right? They're like, yeah, that's the only thing that you know, like you probably don't know about anything else. Um, and I think that's really like, you know, that definitely makes me feel uncomfortable because I escaped war. And now I'm trying to live a peaceful life with the beautiful mountains and making good tea. You know, they're still like, you know, trying to like take me back. And of course, I think war is definitely a really big part of my experience. And I think absolutely has made the person that I am in terms of when I look at things, when I look at gratitude, when I look at compassion and kindness. Um, but I think like, yeah, so I think the topic of war makes me very uncomfortable. And also sometimes, you know, when something happens, just because I'm from Afghanistan, you know, like, yeah, Middle Eastern terrorism, right? Did you guys do the attack? I'm like, dude, like, you know, I have no connections whatsoever. And I think, you know, those assuming things about like people's identities and things that makes me feel uncomfortable. But I think like, uh, not really, I think this is not really because now I'm like my new self, my today's current self tells me that this is not the case. But I think, you know, like a little bit part of myself said is like maybe eight or nine years ago, I was pretty conservative because I come from conservative background, but my family is extremely open-minded. Everyone, you know, is really open-minded. And, you know, I could say that, hey, when I had a conversation about religions back home, right, I might feel uncomfortable, right, if someone was from a different religion. But I think that's something that my you know, current self is like, no, abide. you've always been open-minded, right? Um, and I think like, yeah, so since then, you know, like I've been extremely open-minded about religions and interfaith. I'm extremely involved in the interfaith work. I work with IFYC, Interfaith Youth Corps. And I am also, I've been working for the past over two years um, in the GPS office, you know, the Courageous Pluralism Project. We do videos interfaith that how people of different religions and identities can come together and share like a common ground where everyone can thrive and everyone can succeed.
So the topic of war and you know peace sometimes makes you feel uncomfortable depending on who you who asks you those questions. Really, I think like I'm, you know, just really grateful, you know, to be able to like, you know, share the stories, you know, that I've lived in. Hopefully this, you know, like can help inform our young generation these days because everyone is so, you know, engrossed in using social media every day. For that reason, I actually deleted, I mean, not deleted, deactivated uh, my Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok. I'm only on Instagram and that's because of AZW and my student government's position where like I post advertisements, invite people to come into events. I, I think like I just encourage everyone to, you know, find a piece in themselves and also to not be so much on social media because I think social media takes away the opportunity for people to interact face to face or even on Zoom these days, FaceTime. I don't know. I think like using so much social media might... Um, make you I mean this is a very strong statement and I don't want to make but maybe like might make you like a little bit less human because you're going to be distancing you know like from your community and yourself even um, like I was using Facebook and you know every time that I go to stories or specifically let's say Snapchat it's more personal like I would go to Snapchat I would see like people smiling laughing which is amazing right um, and I would learn way more about their lives than about my life, right? What actually made me happy. I'd be like, yeah, I mean, really cool. That's an amazing, you know, like trip that you went to in Miami or something, right? I don't know. I just felt like I was the loneliest person on earth, like absorbing the rest of the world, being, you know, smiley and happy and stuff. Yeah, take, you know, a break from social media, you know, explore the mountains, make lots and lots of tea or coffee in the morning. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if you're interested in coffee. <laughs> I always try to roast people who love coffee. I think coffee's, coffee's good. <laughs> uh, but you know, sometimes like when I go on, you know, like uh, when I meet new people or when I go on dates and things, right? They're like, yeah, I'll buy, like, do you want to get some tea? I'm like, I would love to get some tea, right? But then, like, after 10 minutes, they're like, hey, like, by any chance, I've been drinking a lot of coffee, and there's this really cool place, Sugar House, you know, coffee. Um, if you know, want to go into it, I'm like, sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm a really open person. I'm like, yeah, coffee works as well, but tea is definitely the best drink in the world. <laughs> Thanks for listening today. We'll be back with another story next week. In the meantime, I really want to thank Dr. Pooh for asking us to collaborate on this project with her. I want to thank Pixie and the Party Grass Boys for providing our theme music. You should totally check them out. Uh, we need to thank the Whiting Foundation as their support for this program today comes from a public engagement seed grant. And once again, thank all of you for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we hope to see you soon.